What's poppin'? Who you a Brand new whip just hopped in. I got options. I can pass that bitch like Stockton. Just joshing. I'ma spend this holiday locked in. My body got rid of them toxins. Sports in the top ten. I can put the ball in the end zone. Put a bad bitch in the friend zone. This shit sound like an intro jet song. Give me that tempo. Told Pooh he'll fool with the shit. Told her don't let her friends know. In the building, I move like a dime. Hey, okay, okay, okay. Hey everyone, welcome to the Do More Podcast. I am your host, Barrington Williamson. This show is about finding and having real conversations with real people. These are people with real lives, real problems, and real hurdles, but have chosen not to let those everyday obstacles that we all go through hinder their ability to see a better future for themselves. The guests on this show are not going to all be incredibly wealthy. They're not going to all have businesses or run one for that matter. But what they will all have in common is this unique courage to make deliberate choices to do more. Do more for their families, do more for their friends, and most importantly, do more for their future. On this episode, I get the incredible opportunity of interviewing my man, Justin Dickens. Hailing out of the D.C. area to go to Atlanta, to go right back to the D.C. area where it all started. We talk about some of his struggles since graduating college, his most prized accomplishment in his professional career, and most importantly, what he wants to leave behind in terms of legacy. I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Justin Dickens on the Do More podcast. Hey, Justin, my man, what's going on? How you doing? Very. Everything's well, man. Good to hear from you. Absolutely. Glad I could be on. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you, man. Well, I appreciate you taking some time out to join us on the podcast today. There's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that don't know who you are, so take some time, introduce yourself, where you're from, what's your name, what you currently do, where you live at right now. And uh, things like that. For sure. Yeah, so I'm Justin Dickens. I'm 28. Currently live in the Northern Virginia area, Arlington, Virginia, a suburb of Washington, D.C. Um, I work in Capital Project Manager. Uh, so that being said, I'm a project manager for a consulting firm. Um, and I have a bunch of clients here in this area, mainly healthcare clients. Um, and essentially, all I do really is I manage all of their real estate development projects. So talking new outpatient centers, new hospitals, which we just completed um, last year, which we can talk about a little bit later on here on the podcast, because that was one of my you know, major career accomplishments there. But other than that, yeah, I have a fiance. I just got recently engaged. Yeah, um, congrats, you know, congrats. Out there. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm tying up the cleats, you know, and throwing <laughs> them over the light pole, giving up those days. There you go. Um, but other than that, uh, next thing on my list is trying to find a house for once we're married. So that's been really taking up a lot of my time. But, you know, me, Barry, I'm very, you know, outgoing and energetic. So I always love a new task. But that's about me. For all the people who don't know me out there. I love it, man. I love it, man. So you unpacked a lot there. You mentioned you were a capital project manager for uh, hospitals and things of that nature. So has COVID and what's going on right now in the world affected you at all? Yeah, it actually has a lot, but I would say just last year affected me just knowing I have job security, being in healthcare, mm. which is, you know, obviously due to the tragedy, you know, healthcare is needed more than ever right now. So essentially, though, being in healthcare, I think even my story just breaking it down when this whole COVID happened. So if we just kind of go back to March, you know, I was still working on site at the hospital because we're currently building out a imaging center um, at the hospital right now. And... When all this, you know, came about and COVID hit and everybody got put on quarantine, you know, the state of Maryland, where I work out of, where my healthcare client is based out of, 
um, the governor, you know, everybody, like everybody else, all the surgery lists, everybody did, you know, pretty frantic and really just not knowing what's coming next, you know. So the governor actually had requested from some of the executives at my healthcare system um, that we open up our old hospital that we just decommissioned back in August when we opened the new one to turn it into a COVID hospital. And essentially, being a COVID hospital, all that means is it was for, you know, the state's most, you know, dire COVID patients. Um, mm-hmm. So we had to actually drop everything on the project that we were working on and go over to the old hospital. And actually, we had some uh, state help, and they basically funded all of the medical equipment to reuse and bring to the COVID hospital. Uh, now that things have died down a little bit, and, you know, projections are a little uh, less drastic than when they were predicted, we actually have been able to reduce the capacity at the COVID hospital. So now we're back to just um, working in the hospital that I was saying before, the imaging center. So it actually has been pretty crazy because, like, every week it's something new, you know, because the executives are meeting with the state legislator for what's needed and where can we find bed capacity, you know, so it was pretty hectic in the beginning because each week was definitely full of uncertainty. But things have settled down now, and we kind of have a you know straightforward process of what we're doing. We are building two more floors on the current hospital just so we can add bed capacity because they realized, you know, nobody expected this pandemic, but they realized that, um, you know, you got to have bed capacity when things like this happen. We realized we were, you know, short on beds and there wasn't enough beds there, you know, so... It kind of was eye-opening for a lot of, I think, the executives and healthcare leaders for the system to realize, like, wow, if something like this happens, are we truly prepared, you know, to handle it, to handle it properly, you know? So it has been very interesting, but uh, it, it's weird. You know, I still go to site, you know, and obviously I wear my PPE and everything, but, you know, I kind of feel like I'm helping make a difference in some way. Granted, you know, I'm not on the front line like a nurse or a doctor or anybody working in the ER. But just knowing that, you know, I'm building out hospitals and, you know, reacting in a federal time, you know, through federal leadership to get things done, you know, kind of makes it important. So I think, you know, that's kind of one of the ideal situations of, you know, having the job I have is, you know, being able to be in a position to um, set up infrastructure for our most, most critical in health services. That's crazy, man. That's, that's really incredible, man. So shout out to you, man. I have no idea about capital project management, so I definitely got to do my own research about what you do specifically on my own time. But it's cool to hear that you, you're doing well and, and your job wasn't affected from a, a lack of work perspective. So that's really awesome, man. So let's take a, a step back real quickly on how you got to, to where you're at right now. You're in D.C. From what I know, you're from the Atlanta area. So what? how did that transition happen from you born and raised in Atlanta, I believe, to now being in the D.C. area? Well, actually, I was born here in the D.C. area, oh, and then I moved to Atlanta around eighth grade, um, and I moved down there uh, just better opportunity sports-wise um, for my family, and obviously, you know, I was, you know, just being a knucklehead, you know, just not focusing here, you know, getting caught up in the preteen, you know, things that happen, you know, so I was really essentially not, I won't say I was forced, but it was a better life decision at the time, you know. Thinking back back then, it was more like, oh, man, I got to go to Georgia. Only thing I knew about the South was, you know, just like racism and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't really, you know, like and it sounds kind of stubborn and, you know, like, I don't know if you want to say naive, but 
that's kind of just how my mindset was as a, you know, like a young seventh and eighth grade. All I knew about was from what I saw in movies and, you know, all that was showing was, you know, racism. You know, the South is bad. So it was kind of a culture shock, you know, when I moved down to Georgia. But then obviously it was like the best thing that ever happened to me because I was able to play football, get a scholarship to Clemson University, you know, and just continue really grinding it out to get to where I was now. But um, kind of like how you mentioned before, though, when I did graduate, I did come back um, to Atlanta, and I think you came and visited me once. You remember Andre, you met yeah. my roommate, and then we went back to Clemson for homecoming. So yeah, I was living down there, and when I first graduated QU, I was working at a law firm. Um, I got a job through a, a buddy, you know, because like most things in this world, it's all about who you know. Yeah. Um, so I ended up getting a job through one of my buddies at the law firm that he worked at, and I basically was just a legal assistant. And if anybody out there doesn't know what a legal assistant is, you essentially do all the paperwork, all the paper pushing, and getting everything prepared for your lawyer that you're an assistant to. Um, and, you know, all that can be, you know, that's up for everybody else to determine, you know, what those things are that you put together. But essentially all I did was put together case files, get everything ready for trial, things like that. And, you know, within the first five, six months of working there, it really just, I won't say it wasn't for me, but it was my first true professional job, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I had had jobs before where I worked at a barbershop, you know, I was cleaning up hair, I had worked at uh, the movie theater, um, but this was, like, my first true professional job, being around people, you know, who have been in the industry forever, partners at the law firm, you know, just being in that industry and then still feeling, you know, like you're not prepared, you know, mm-hmm. or you're not yeah. welcome it kind of really just takes a toll on you mentally, you know? So, like, I always was kind of having those feelings and doubts that, like, maybe I shouldn't be in this law firm. Like, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not really working to become a paralegal. I'm not going to law school. Like, you know, what am I really trying to do here outside of just have a job, you know, and make money? Which, you know, yeah, it's good when you're right out of college because you need the money. You know, me, I don't come from a – you know, a wealthy family or a family that has strong financial ties or anything of that nature. So everything that I was doing at the time was, like, on my own. So, like, every my thought process and things was, you know, I'm 23, right out of college, just graduated, you know. It's like, okay, I know I have a cell phone bill I have to pay. You know, that needs to be first priority every month. Without a cell phone, you know, I can't do anything. I can't work. I can't get a job. I can't, you know, look for jobs. I can't do anything. Yeah. And then, obviously, you know, my next thought process was, okay, how am I going to pay my rent? move downtown and stuff so essentially it was like okay just get a job for those reasons i wasn't necessarily you know thinking about my future Mm -hmm. you know so and at the time when you start thinking about that stuff that stuff could be scary you know that's just like a scary time you know like what do you really want to what do you really want to do like what is your purpose what are you going to do like like i said before like yeah you can have a job to pay your bills but like is that really what you want to do long term you know so it, it was hard for me to kind of adjust to that, you know, because everybody at the law firm, like I said, being in the first professional environment, everybody there had what they wanted to do figured out. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, I'm a lawyer. I'm not a senior partner, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm a 43-year-old woman who's a paralegal, and I've been doing this for 20 years, and I'm going to plan on staying a paralegal, you know? like yeah. So, like, everybody kind of had it figured out, and then, like, a lot of the other legal assistants and aides they all were studying for law school, you know, mm-hmm. to get into law school because they were fresh graduates, you know. And so me, it was kind of like everybody would ask, like a lot of the, you know, 
tech lawyers at the firm, this being a big firm, would ask me, so what are you going to do? What law school are you applying to? You know, like they would always assume that I was going to law school because I worked at a law firm, uh, okay. you know. So it kind of was like a pressure, like, okay, do I tell them I'm not going to law school? Do I lie and say, like, yeah, I'm just studying now for the LSAT? <laughs> or, you know, what, what do I do, you know, because I don't want to look like I'm just some dumb, immature kid, you know? So yeah. it was a lot to juggle, and at the end of the day, moral of the story, it just kind of wasn't for me, you know? Like, I, I, I kind of realized early, like, okay, this kind of isn't, for me, you know, after, you know, six months of working there. So then in turn, I just stopped working at the law firm, you know, so I stopped working. I needed money, like I was saying before, because I had to pay all my bills by myself. So I needed money for my car note, my insurance, all these things. So I essentially started acting. And a lot of people don't know this about me, Jay, and even people from Quincy. They don't know I started acting for a while when I lived in Georgia. Um, Georgia has some of the higher, like, tax credits for acting. So everybody films down there. Like, so you probably see a lot of shows now and movies that basically say like they're filmed in Georgia because yeah. it's a you know a huge filming capital, a lot of studios and so forth and so on. So I started acting actually and landed actually a couple of good roles in some you know reoccurring shows um, as an extra. But obviously you know like within that industry the pay is just so inconsistent. Mm. You know it just wasn't working out for me to be able to keep. Uh, living where I was living, having the bills I had, and then not having the income to match it, you know? Yeah. So, got to the point, you know, and a lot of people don't know this part either, but it got to the point where I needed, I had to call my mom and ask her to help pay for my rent. Oh, wow. You know, so, and me being a prideful person, you know, like, just knowing that everything I had ever gotten in my life, you know, I got on my own, essentially, without help from parents, you know, financially or anything of that nature. So, being very prideful that I was, it kind of was, you know, hard for me to let my mom know that I wasn't working at the law firm anymore and I didn't have income coming in, you know, and I couldn't pay my rent and I couldn't pay my cell phone bill because outside of just feeling the feeling of like, okay, I let her down, you know, it was yeah. more so of like the pride of like, I don't like, I don't want to ask for help, you know, mm. like I, I want to figure this out on my own, but then it actually got to the point where I needed help, you know, yeah. and for the longest time, like that's the mentality I had was like, you know, if there's an issue, I'll figure it out. You know, like, I don't need help. You know, like, I'll, I'll get it done. You know, and then in real life, that's just not how it works. <laughs> you, you need, need people. You're gonna, you're gonna, yeah, you're going to need people, you know, whether that's your family or close friends. Or, you know, you're going to need them. They can put you in a better position or help you out or spring you forward when you're down, you know. So, essentially, you know, I end up just, you know, letting my mom know, you know, like, hey, you know, this is this, this is that, because my rent, she's like, well, you know, like, Justin, you know, I can't afford to, you know, pay for your rent and continue paying my bills, you know, so it's like, you need to find a job, you need to go to college, you need to find a job, and, you know, there really just wasn't nothing out there, you know, like, mm. you really, and, you know, Barry, you know this pretty well, like, you know, like, you always say all the time to, you know, your messages and tweets that you learn more out of college than you did in college. A hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? hundred percent. Exactly, so, like, for me, it was, like, the same way. It was, like, all right, now I got to, like, self-teach myself for, mm. like, these jobs that are open or, you know, teach myself how to actually prepare a resume and cover letter and do all these things and tailor my resume a specific way, you know. So it was kind of like anything, any job that I was getting, I was striking out on, mm. you know. Like, I wasn't finding any, you know, I won't say luck, but I just wasn't, you know, striking out. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't getting the jobs, you know? So, 
you know, after that, it was just like, no, I was like, I can't, you know, do this anymore. So she's like, hey, I know a lady that um, can get you a job up there back, you know, in D.C. And so really, like, it was like night and day. My family had came down for my niece's uh, high school graduation. And my mom was like, you know, pack your stuff. Like, just come back. Like, come back now. You know, like, we'll worry about, you know, getting you out your lease, you know, get you in all these things. And, you know, it kind of felt like a sign of relief, honestly. Mm. You know, like, it was kind of like I had been so scared and nervous to ask for help, you know, for so long that, like, I was fearing the outcome, you know. And to actually, you know, see my mom and, like, family be supportive and be like, you know, Justin, it's just, like, a bump in the road. Like, you know, I feel like you have, like, all this debt and financial stress on you. But, like, you know, like, everybody was just very supportive of me. And my mom really, you know, stepped in, you know, by looking out through, like, her connections and getting me the shop. Um, so, actually, five years ago, this June, you know, it'll make five years this June since I've moved from Atlanta up here. Um and really, you know, it's it's been the best decision of my life. You know, literally the best decision of my life. So, man, that's yeah, awesome, I, I know man. I felt like I was kind of ranting there, but you no, know, I, I can get deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. How I kind of got back up here from Atlanta, but you know, just like you, Barry, like you know, we move around a lot, and but uh, that's pretty much you know like the gist of how I ended up really just back here. Man, that's uh, powerful stuff, man. I, I, there's a lot of stuff in there that you just spoke about that I didn't know. I knew you did the acting stuff a little bit. We talked about that um, briefly, but I didn't know it got that bad to the, the fact that your mom needed to step in and help out, which is, is cool, man. I wouldn't look down on that. I know a lot of people go do things and they, they are scared to ask for help. I'm definitely one of those people. But what I've learned is everybody got their own stories and struggles that they go through. So you reaching out, asking for help, gives people that, that courage to help you out because they know what it feels like. So, man, that's that's big ups to you for finally biting that bullet and asking mom for help. And she, that's even bigger for her coming through and helping you out. So you moved to, you moved to back home to the Virginia area. And then you mentioned that you were engaged. So when did you meet your, uh, the lovely lady? <laughs> yeah. So I actually, I, and a lot of people don't know this either, but I've known my fiance since sixth grade. Oh, wow. We actually went to middle school together. Um, and after middle school, you know, uh, like I said, I moved out in Georgia in eighth grade. So we kind of like, you know, separated and everything. Another little funny tidbit is we actually dated in middle school. Oh, for about okay. Two weeks. Okay. Yeah. You know, those two week relationships. <laughs> yeah. I had a couple of those. <laughs> yeah. Those two week relationships. Um, so then, you know, we came back here and when I moved back up here, I, uh, just had, you know, social media had fallen on Instagram. And, you know, I was kind of just still getting familiar with the area because I hadn't seen a lot of these people in, you know, 15 years, you know, mm-hmm. damn near, it seemed like. And really, it was just, like, exciting. She came back, and she was like, oh, you know, like, good to see you. Like, you know, she was, like, excited just as I was. It was kind of like we were seeing strangers, you know, like, <laughs> it had been so many years, you know, since we had, you know, last, you know, had talked, really. Like, yeah, we would see each other and follow each other through college. Um, but, you know, that was kind of just to, like, the extent of just like liking photos and liking statuses and stuff like that you know it wasn't like we were you know constantly communicating or staying in touch um but yeah so we had just came back went to happy hour and then that turned into like two dates three dates you know and then <laughs> that's 
really much out of the day. Like, it was literally, it was like one day, two days, it's like, you know what, you want to date? Cool. Yeah, we started dating, and then, you know, she actually, once we started dating, she had moved to, um, within like the first two months, she had moved to Australia for a, uh, for a job. She got a job in Australia for work, you know, doing like an environmental cleanup project. Uh, out there because she does environmental program managing. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had got a job out there. So for the first like six months of us being together, she was actually in Australia. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we had like a distance relationship. And then when she came back, I just felt like, you know, everything was like so 10 times, you know, more stronger, you know, than what it was before, you know. So really, when she came back, it was just like, all right, let's get a place together. You know, I felt like it was like the right time. Mm-hmm. We had a place for two years together and then we just decided you know after i'd say now may of last year is when we got engaged so we got engaged may of last year and uh now we were going to have our wedding here in june but due to covid we have to move it on to september so wow so she went to australia for a couple months the love grew stronger, and then she came back. You guys moved in together, and then you're like, "Hey, this is the one." So I gotta pop that question. How did you pop? How did you pop the question? Was it on the beach? Was it was it in the subway? Was her family there? How did that go? So she is big on, um, like you know, the like I said, the environment and everything of that nature. Uh, so we actually, and my fiance is Puerto Rican, so we went down to uh, Puerto Rico. Um, like her mom and family, they all knew of the plan. And she actually didn't know. Uh, we were kind of just saying it as like, oh, this is a you know family vacation uh, type ordeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we went down to Puerto Rico. We, my mom was there. My sister was there. Uh, her mom, her dad, her brother, uh, my brother-in-law was there. So it's kind of like a family vacation the way we planned it. Because mm-hmm. um, I had already been doing all the things in the background, you know, getting the ring, um, you know, just doing all that type of stuff. And um, – we go down there and essentially we went to this restaurant. It was like the last two nights we were down in Puerto Rico. Uh, we had saw our grandma earlier in the trip when we were there. Um, and I really just went to a restaurant. I got down on one knee. And when I tell you, I was so nervous. <laughs> like, and it wasn't even nervous. Like, I was nervous because of like, oh, I'm getting married or like I'm asking a question. It was just more so nervous of the hundred people that were in this restaurant mm. just like <laughs> getting ready to like stare at me and it's actually like we had a video from it and in the video there is uh like you can see this like white couple in the background and they're just like jumping with joy like, like you know like they were really old and they were just like so excited that um you know like that they were witnessing this it's like oh it's so cute so they just like buying us like a bottle and stuff but that was pretty much how we did it down in Puerto Rico it was real nice and romantic you know like kind of asked for like a better way to do it you know yeah. it, was, it was truly remarkable so that's awesome. it, it, it was really good that's really cool that, that's an awesome story man that that warms my heart especially if she's puerto rican um doing it in puerto rico that i know that meant a lot to her too i, I hope that meant a lot to her so that's cool man yeah and and rest in peace to her grandma you know um she just passed away recently oh wow my condolences that's, that's hard to hear so one of the things that um, Do More Podcast is about is highlighting the people that have, have been through some things. And you clearly have been through some things on the, on the background that a lot of people don't know. Um, so you mentioned that you had 
your greatest accomplishment a couple years ago when you first started working on your other project. So talk to us a little bit about that. What what makes that your your greatest achievement so far? Uh oh man. So just kind of give a background. Um, going back to like I said, like it's going to be five years now. But in 2016, um, we they pulled me in. They had brought me over to our capital projects team. Uh, when I started the company, I was just an engagement manager. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the engagement manager. Uh, I or I say engagement associate. I won't say manager. I was an engagement associate, and essentially, I would just work on the PowerPoint for the clients. You know, so I was very familiar with the Adventist Healthcare client that my company had because I would do like a lot of the PowerPoint and KPIs and a lot of reporting stuff uh, to give to my boss, who would then obviously report to you know the hospital executive. Um, so that being said, back in 2016. The way it's funny how life works. Uh, a guy who had trained me at my company on a capital project management software called Archibus. Um, it's something that you use to manage all your projects. I'm familiar um, with it. Yeah. So he had trained me, and my company is you know a pretty small consulting firm. Uh, but I was the second person who had knew it at the company. Like we only had one manager for the system, and then I was the uh, I was the second manager. You know, so he leaves the company, and so now all this, all of my clients, you know, um, like information through this capital project management software. Out of the whole healthcare client, I was the only one who knew how to uh, manage the system. You wow. know, so like they still wanted to keep like the reporting going. They still wanted all this stuff to like keep flowing, you know, smoothly. Um, but they're like who can do it? So they essentially were like, hey, Justin, we need you to like, you know, jump in, fill into this role, um, fill into this role because nobody else can do it. And we still have to report, you know, like we still need to get reports done. We still have to do all these things. And, you know, you're one of the people who can help us get this done. So essentially they just said, hey, you know, all right, Justin, you'll lead it. You'll take it over. We'll put you on a capital project team. You know, so you're dealing hand in hand with the project, so you know there's no confusion or anything of that nature when it comes to um, uh, running the system. So I basically did that, and when we started this new hospital, which was a half a billion dollar project, um, we essentially uh, needed a new system to manage it. So we started with eBuilder, and eBuilder is a same type of capital project management system, but eBuilder, um, it's more user friendly essentially. So, essentially, you know, my clients, my company, they didn't want to miss out on this. And so they essentially were like, Justin, do you think you can learn eBuilder? You know, like, we need you to learn eBuilder. And so <laughs> I like went to training down in Fort Lauderdale in like one month, learned the training, learned the system. And I came back, and I basically trained this whole project staff. So I'm sure you see, like, big companies like Clark Construction, you know, um, Turner Construction, uh, like, all the big names. Uh, And essentially, we worked with Turner on the project, and I had to, like, train all their staff. So essentially, it was kind of like I was, again, now the only person throughout this half a billion dollar project who knew how to manage the system that handled all the RFIs, handled all the submittals, handled all the change orders, you know. 
So it was like definitely a job security in that way. So you know, I kind of took it on as a match. You know, like I've always been somebody who enjoyed you know solving problems and really like figuring things out. So you know, that's kind of the role that they had me in was kind of like the manager of the software. Mm-hmm. And then like after a year and a half of like managing the software and kind of assisting with some owners provided items for their hospital project. Uh, they actually let me lead my own project. Nice. And this was, like I said, I mean, again, Barry, this is, I had never in my life done project management. Like, if you told me how to lay brick, I would not tell you how it's done. If you asked me what a conduit was, I wouldn't know what a conduit was. <laughs> if you asked me how to put a doorknob in, I wouldn't know how to put a doorknob in. So now, you know, my firm being, you know, short-staffed and, you know, not wanting to hire and then kind of just putting more responsibility on me, I kind of took it as a challenge that I needed to learn more, mm-hmm. you know, and do more. Like, you know, like you're saying, do more, you know. So I was here working, you know, in the early days back in, you know, 2016, 2017, you know, working 45 hours a week work and then I'm putting in 20 hours of study time to just learn what construction materials were, to learn the construction process, you know, because as a capital project manager, you're essentially, you know, you're taking your client's money and they expect you to deliver the product, you know, on time, on budget, you mm-hmm. know. So I'm taking their money and they're saying, okay, we need a new hospital. And granted, it wasn't just me. There was, a, you know, like I said, this was a half a billion dollar medical campus. So there were multiple, we had CBRE Harry involved. They were the program managers. We obviously had a big GP in Turner, you know. So like everybody kind of had their role. And I think like, you know, people at my company and my director, you know, they kind of just saw the value that I brought because I was so eager to learn more. You know, like I was always in the field, like with a hard hat and boots, you know, like I would send you those Snapchats and yeah. you'd see, like I'd be wearing my boots and hard hat and granted I wasn't doing any labor work, but I'm over here like overseeing the money, you know, overseeing and making sure that the client's money is being spent properly, you know, like there's not wasteful change orders. They're not saying this costs that when it really doesn't. They're not saying they're using this many linear square feet when they're using this many, you know, like, so that was kind of my role is to like be in the field and really see the process. Like it truly is amazing when you learn kind of the process of building something from the ground up, you know, literally from the soil, from the soil you import in and compact it into the ground and really just building it up. And I really think, you know, like I met so many connections throughout this project. This was a one medical campus took us four years to build, you know, and if you think about the procurement phase, they had to start the procurement in 2009 for all the funds, you know, the actual healthcare system. So it really was a, 15, damn near, you know, 10 to 12 years in the making, getting this medical campus, you know, to the point of where it's actually complete and can have patients, you know, like, the first patient day, Barry, I cried when they brought the first patient. It was a baby, and, you know, because it was this big ceremony, they had to, you know, like I said before, decommission the old hospital and bring the patients to the new hospital. It was, like, this big thing, and it was kind of just, like, overwhelming and and I don't know if overwhelming is the right word, but it was just like, wow, I'm standing next to the governor of Maryland. You know, like I'm, like, I'm up here in my seat at the big boy table of the food chain of this process, you know. Right. Because, like, as an owner's representative, you know, like, you are, you know, you're the right hand to your client. And my client being, you know, the healthcare system. You know, so they relied on, like, my team and everybody to, you know, deliver this hospital and everything. And it, you know, it was a bumpy process and road, but like I said, Barry, like, throughout this whole time, I kind of took it as a challenge to just learn more. Like, my first solo project was building the parking garage on the campus. You know, mm-hmm. that was a $25 million project that I managed, you know, the whole way by myself. So, 
Like there was lots of things that I got wrong, and like I said, it was just it just was a complete learning process to like truly like like Barry, not even explain, man. You know how it was in college, you know, like we were not having the same mentality or thought process that we have now as young professionals, you know. Yeah. So. I would literally, like I said, I'd be in meetings, you know, owner-architect design meetings with the contractor, and they would say things, and I didn't know what they were talking about. I'd be Googling it. I'd be Googling it in the meeting, Barry, like, and then clicking, like, Google Images so I could see what type of construction, you know, equipment or material they were referencing, you know, just so I could really, you know, understand what they were talking about. Because these guys are, you know, they're 20 years in the game, you know, yeah. these superintendents are 40 years old, you know, all these design and lead architects and such a project like this. You know, these people are, you know, extremely hard. I'm, I'm always the youngest person in the room, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't like to have, like, kind of going back to, like, I was saying, like, in my, my Georgia days, I, I didn't want to have that feeling of, like, I needed, you know, like, not that I needed to help, but it was, like, I can hold my own with the big boys, yeah. you know? Like, I'm here, and I'm here to stay. Like, I'm not about to be here and then mess, be messing up to where you guys are like, okay, we need another project he's losing us money, he's delivering behind schedule, you know, so I was, like, really taking it personal, you know, to make sure that I was holding all my contractors, my design team, everybody, you know, to a high standard, so that, like, you know, it looked good on those clients, and sure enough, you know, like, you know, when those performance reviews come around at the end of the year, and they're talking to the, you know, like, it all kind of, you know, worked out in my favor, and, you know, like, not to toot my own horn or anything like that, it's like, you know, I really, like, worked for it. I went from like rock bottom, no money in my account, student debt, zero dollars to, you know, not to, like making over six figures. You know what I mean? Like, so for somebody like me, like, you know, I, growing up, like I said, Barry, you know, like we never really had plans of what were we going to do post college. You know, like these yeah. are things we talked about. Like everybody kind of, you know, had things lined up for them, but, you know, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I wanted to just coach football. I'll be a football coach, you know? Yeah. And then here I am, you know, now, like I said, being a capital project manager, being a project manager, you know, and it, it's just like, it's, it's eye-opening, man. It, it, it truly is like a blessing because it just kind of teaches you that, like, things can be going wrong, but, like, you really cannot, you know, one, be afraid to ask for help, and two, just really just get away from your grind. You know, you know that grind, Barry, like that summer grind when you're sitting <laughs> we're running, and we're running all the way to the... the River, like yeah. that type of grind, you know, like that grind I went through when we were going into senior year, you know, like that's kind of like where I had to dig myself into mentally mm. to really like get to that point, you know, yeah. where I could say like, okay, like I'm responsible enough to like trust somebody, like I said, with twenty five million dollars, you know, like that's not cheap money, that's not you know a little bit of money, that's not chump like, change at all. This, this, yeah, this healthcare company is releasing twenty five mil, you know, like. Like, yeah, it's not chump change, you know, like, so, I think, you know, like, it's it, it just been, it's, it's been a blessing, man, and, you know, like, I don't want to just dabble on and off, but, you know, I really turned the map for, you know, just a better opportunity from the beginning to really just show my worth and really just push myself, so, yeah, yeah. the project, it, it turned out wonderful, the hospital opened back in um, uh, August 25th of 2019, um, you know, we have patients and everything, you know, and we've just been building on the campus since then, you know, I built a behavioral health unit in there, I'm building, like, a lake improvement, I did an infrastructure project where I had to work with all, all like, state regulators, county regulators, permitting office, you know, all of those things, you know, so it's been a, you know, a handful and a 
wild experience, but definitely worth it. That's awesome. That is crazy. I had no idea that you uh, you you've been able to accomplish so much and then come from where you came from. So that this is awesome, and this is and this is what the Do More podcast is about. It's about shining light on people such as yourself who. If you look at you right now, today, you wouldn't necessarily know about how you got here. So this is about telling your story, and I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing what your ups and downs have been so far. So that's that's really cool. That's a great testimony, man. So you should be really, really, really proud of yourself. No, for sure, Barry. And, you know, I appreciate you having me on. And I really do, you know, love your platform. I listen to your podcast. You have great guests on who speak with knowledge and people who are subject matter experts. You know, like I would never, you know, speak on something that I'm not an expert at. You know, you leave that stuff to the subject matter experts. And that's one thing I've learned to think, you know, capital partners management because, you know, if you're not an expert at it, you know, I know I'm not a mechanical engineer. So I don't, you know, expect people to, you know, think I know these things. So it's good to have people who, you know, really push the needle forward that know what they're talking about. And, you know, Barry, you really, you know, you're putting that platform out there for everybody to really, you know, see that, you know, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. Because as long as you do more, better things will happen. I really appreciate being on, Barry. Absolutely, I appreciate everything you're doing. You know, all the knowledge and gems you drop. You know, it's good to see. It's good to see you back out here active on social media. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because you went ghost for a while. We missed you. We missed you. I did. Now you're you're back dropping gems. Making people money. Making people money. So, I really do appreciate it, man. Absolutely. So, I like to ask questions before I end every podcast episode. And for you specifically, I want to ask a couple of them. Just because you, you actually educate me on a lot with project management, uh, with acting and things of that nature. So the first and the most important question I got for you is, what's the type of legacy you want to leave behind? Type of legacy I want to leave behind? Mm-hmm. I'd say the type of legacy that I want to leave behind would just be one that somebody who always had a helping hand. Somebody mm-hmm. who always, you know, looked out for somebody else. Like, it's okay for you to eat, but... It's not like that line, like J. Cole said, what's good is first class if, you know, excuse me, I don't know if this is a perfect podcast, but what good is first class if my niggas can't sit, mm. you know? Like, what, what good is that if your closest friends, the people you that have supported you, the closest people in your life can't be there with you, you know? So I kind of want my legacy to be one of somebody that people know, like, hey, you know, like, he worked hard for his, but he also, you know, he looked out. He helped out, you know? So I always am, you know, Looking to help out. If you if you know anybody who's looking to get into, you know, project management, capital project management, studying for the TMP, doing any of those things, you know, feel free to have them reach out to me, even if it's consulting, you know, because at the end of the day, I work for a consulting firm, mm. you know, yeah. and I happen to just be in capital project management. So, like I said, man, my legacy, I wanted to be one that people think of me as somebody who could, one, put a smile on their face, and two, really just help them out whenever they need it, you know, like, whatever it is, like, I just kind of want to be there for people, you know, for people to count on, you know, so I hope that's a legacy that I can leave, that's one that, you know, creates generational wealth for my family and friends, you know, so really at the end of the day, that's the legacy I want to be, is somebody who is always willing to, you know, give a helping hand, you know, because like I said before in the beginning, Barry, like, I had nothing, and without a helping hand, I'd probably, you know, just be running the street doing something <laughs> stupid. So, yeah. you know, just if I could leave that legacy of somebody who, you know, left a helping hand, that, that'll be, you know, for the best. That's awesome, man. And the second question I have for you, what's one lesson you've learned since graduating that you wish you'd known before graduating? Uh, I'd say probably 
one thing that I wish that I knew before graduating that I didn't know prior to graduating, I would say probably I think it's kind of really like I would just want to know like really where to put my money. Mm. Where do I put my money when I get it? What what do I do with my money when I get it? You know, mm. if that's something I knew about graduating. They're like, hey, listen, man, if you take two hundred bucks out of your check and put it over here, you're gonna make two hundred fifty dollars every month. You know, mm. like if I knew like things like that, you know, like I think that would have been beneficial because I think I would have been more responsible with my money early on. Mm. You know, whereas like I was like I had never had money before. <laughs> you know, it's like I got a job. Yeah. I need to hit the bar. I need to hit the <laughs> you know, like that makes sense. I like that. That's a that's a solid answer. Cool. And the, the last question: Where can people find you at? What's your social? Are you on social media? Are you on Twitter, Instagram? Where can people find you? What's yeah, your, people what's can your... find me if you're looking for me. My name is Justin HJD. Um, you can find me on Twitter at that Justin HJD. Um, I stay dropping gems on Twitter, all the insider breaking NFL news and all that. You know, kind of goes back to my sport reporting days. Um, and then on Instagram, just just underscore Justin H. Uh, if you want to see me there, I don't use Facebook. Um, if you're looking for me on LinkedIn, if you need any knowledge or anything, it's just Justin Dickens, my full name. You know, so appreciate you having me on, Barry. Really appreciate the time, man. It was good. I hope I could be a re- reoccurring guest. You know, maybe talk about some better projects in the future. Um, you know, we do actually, we actually partnered now with Howard University. Ooh. So we'll be taking over and building Howard a new medical center here. We're still in the early procurement stage of the project, but yeah. uh, within like the next six years, we should uh, actually start building out a new medical center for Howard University. So it'll be state of the art, and that's really big for my client. Um, as you know, Howard being, you know, it's one of the most famous historically yeah. black colleges. Um, so just more things coming in. You know, I'm just excited. So, That's thanks awesome. for having me, Barry. Absolutely, man. I'm definitely gonna make sure that we get you back on so we can talk about that Howard, uh, that Howard project in the future, man. So good, man. Again, I appreciate you taking some time to to jump on the podcast tonight. Um, it's been an absolutely fantastic time. I've learned a lot, and I know the people that listen to this this podcast will definitely get a lot of value out of it. So, again, I appreciate it, man. I love you. I hope you continue to do well. Um, congratulations on the engagement. I hope the wedding is beautiful. I hope to be there. Um, and hopefully the coronavirus is not with us as well. Uh, <laughs> I hope, yeah, I hope so too, man. I hope so too. Absolutely, Appreciate man. Appreciate you having me again, Barry. And remember, always do more. Absolutely, man. Take care. We'll talk soon. Love you, brother. That's my type of distraction. That's my type of she letting. Got my own flow and I'm about to get a patent. Brand new sheets for the bed they setting. Y'all wasn't tuned in back then. My swag they keep jacking. I ain't doing no verse, quit asking. What's poppin'? Brand new whip just hopped in.